Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Ann Friedman. And I'm Amina Tuso. On this week's episode, we discuss criticism and feedback from a previous episode, our gift giving dilemmas, the TV shows and podcasts that are distracting us from the election, and so much more. Hi, Anne. How's it going? I mean, it's good. I am uh, I'm many hours ahead still, so I'm drinking a hotel happy hour beer and I'm eating beetroot potato chips, which can I have a pause button here? Why do Europeans say beetroot? No one says carrot root, potato root, it's like all the root. other vegetables. All the other vegetables that are root, we don't go out of our way to add root. It's only beetroot here. It makes no sense. Oh, my God. You know what? I had honestly never thought of that. I know. I'm just like the the editor in me wants wants it consistent. <laughs> well, but the thing is that like there's beetroot, but I like there's definitely also like you like is different than like uh, golden beets or like garden beets or like table beets. But it's the so they're same. not called golden beetroot. But it, no, it's not called <laughs> golden beetroot. But it's like the same goddamn thing. I don't know. I'm just like the 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 like minor linguistic mysteries of being in another place are like endlessly wonderful to me. It's like, yeah, why is it called beetroot when carrots aren't called roots? Like, I don't know. Oh my anyway. god. Um, good for so, you. Maybe you'll sorry. get to the bottom of that. Listen, I'm I'm sure that I'll meet some like vegetable linguist at some point in my life and can pose this question. <laughs> oh my god. Fingers crossed for our audience that you get to the bottom of this mystery. Actually, oh my god, if someone is a linguist who studies vegetable words, who's listening to this, get in touch. <laughs> we have the many questions. Mostly, I like just found out that like roquette and arugula are the same thing like 10 days ago, and it's blown my mind. Wait, you say roquette, like Radio City Music Hall, not mm-hmm. rocket, like the shit? No, like, oh, yeah, because it's like Q-U-E-T-T-E. Only in France, girl? Like, in, but in yes, <laughs> exactly. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> roquette yeah roquette i oh was like God. what this is blowing my mind this was like how when i found out what uh cilantro was years ago like also blew my mind i mean the cilantro coriander thing is a bit confusing in the spice aisle for sure yeah for sure you know they don't serve the same function but like when i found out that was the same root i was just shocked coriander root coriander root um, arugula root <laughs> Uh, anyway, do you want to talk about feelings? <laughs> oh my God, I have no feelings. I'm back to peak Amina. What's going on? <laughs> oh, our listeners have lots of feelings. That's what I was referring to about our last episode. Sure, let's talk about it. <laughs> let's talk about all of the feelings. That's why I said feelings, not your feelings. I know, uh, but, you know. Like, or my I'm, feelings, but feelings. But I'm like selfish, so I make everything about myself. And I heard feelings you, and I was like, me? I don't think so. <laughs> Having no feelings here, not a single one. Nope. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. We got we got some emails after our last episode, which to uh, refresh your memories slash maybe recap for people who didn't listen, we were both 
kind of our worst selves, like really stressed and kind of sick and talking at a weird hour, which is, you know, it's not like we said something we didn't want to say. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I think that our tone probably was affected by like being in a bad mood and like showing up to do this even when we're not. Right. Like this podcast does not benefit from anybody being up past 10 p.m. in their time zone. Like it just like doesn't work. It's true. Every once in a while, we cross the Rubicon into like giddy, and then it kind of works. But most of the time, <laughs> yeah, most, most of, the of the times, times it's not. like, mm, this is bad. So yeah, so we took a few listener questions. One in particular was a letter from a white woman who was a boss in her small business, along with her parents, who were the other bosses, and essentially wondering how to respond to racist comments made by her colleagues who some of whom she indicated in her letter that she supervised so that was one of the questions we took and we were pretty straightforward in our answer (laughs) which was mention to their faces that they're being racist and don't stand for it because you're the boss is that would you say that's a fair summary that's a fair summary i would also add that like that has consistently been our stance on this podcast (laughs) it's true and in our lives don't be a coward take a stance when like when something is wrong you should say it out loud yeah so anyway but uh this is a broad summary of my my reading of a couple of different emails not like i'm not reading one in particular here but it was sort of like hey aren't you guys supposed to be supportive of other women and not tearing them down hey i thought your tone was kind of mean why did you have to condescend to this person who wrote in asking a sincere question I think that's the general vein of a lot of the feedback that we got about our answer to that, which was, like I said, very straightforward. You need to say something. It's not acceptable not to. That's fair. I would also note, we did not say this at the time, (laughs) but like in retrospect, having heard some of the reaction, if we were super excited and cheerleading and even coddling about everything, every question that we got, we would be a totally meaningless cheerleading squad slash like maybe the lowest common denominator women's magazine. Like we would not. Oh my be- God. And isn't that what we're supposed to do though? Like uplift all women and support them and not tell them when they're doing things wrong. Or actually we don't tell people when they're doing things wrong. It's like, if you're soliciting our feedback, we will tell you. Yeah, I decide, uh, yeah, perfect, perfect example. Like, you know, if you are soliciting feedback, it's because you genuinely want an answer. And like, I'm sorry, but like Shine Theory doesn't say tell your friends that they're doing great no matter what. Shine Theory is like invest in each other. Like how do you like what is it a greater investment in someone than being like, I think that you are like headed down the wrong path here or I think that you need to get serious about living your beliefs like to me that seems very very like a very important component of substantively supporting someone who has come to you for advice or someone who you care about it's not just being like cool you're great you're great you're great all the time especially in this moment where we have like tangible like data proof and evidence that like things are not going well Uh, Yeah, and going way worse for some of us than others. Like, I think that's like another thing that's underlying this letter, too. Like, this is, this is not, um, you know, someone who uh, is is totally powerless. (laughs) This is someone who is like, you know, like inherited a lot of privilege. Sorry, I'm just gonna like say that someone who intangibly in this situation has a lot of privilege, like as a boss, it's not exactly kicking someone who's down. It's saying someone with to someone with a lot of power, you have a lot of power and you need to use it, especially in this moment. I don't know. It's hard for me. I'm not like, 
I can't step outside of myself enough to know whether that completely didn't come across. But I think that a critical response was warranted from us, which is why we gave it. I'm like, I will constantly be this person. But you know who's not writing us to tell us things like this? Uh, Women who are not white. Maybe you should really look really hard and deep and see why why this kind of evokes these kinds of feelings in you and why it feels so personal and why you feel the need to be like dealt with like gently in this moment that is really hard for other people. I find these patterns like really, really interesting. It's like we can talk about like supporting each other and being there for each other and blah, blah, blah. But when the rubber really meets the road, it's like, are you willing to do the work? And are you willing to be uncomfortable? Some of us are always uncomfortable because we're not the norm and we're not the default. And so maybe you should join us in this place of being uncomfortable and not always expecting everything to go your way. I sort of, I relate. I do relate. I mean, like, not just like, hey, I'm a, I'm a white woman, but I relate to some of these letter writers. Like when I think about various times in my own life when I have been challenged about things that I have said or done in part because like there's this feeling that here's like a a white girl feeling of like I'm I'm trying to be good here isn't that good enough like you know which which the underlying assumption there is that I get to choose to be active on these issues like I could either stay on the sidelines or get in and the fact that I'm kind of trying to get in and you're still criticizing me is unfair like that's that's sort of a general sentiment here and I'm like wow but like you just gave the truth there and being like it's an option for you to be active on this you know and like that's frankly a very hard thing to get over and it's something that like saying like don't worry about it you're already doing great is not going to help you cross that hurdle into acting is not optional anymore you know like you and I have been like feminists for like a minute now (laughs) and it's interesting how like every year of your life you have these conversations we were talking about this when we were like 20 in like the baby feminist praxis class and now I'm talking about it with like grown women who like this stuff never hit part of everybody trying to be woke together is that you need to realize that like the day that you, you know, like you get woke, like doesn't mean that it's the first day that like people are learning about some of these concepts. Like the first day that like you were hit with like feminism or I don't know, like you learn about intersectionality or whatever. You need to kind of understand that like people have been doing this for a long time. Like your insight is great and it's like, welcome to the team and we're happy to have you. But uh, it's not about you and it's not about centering your own feelings and your own contributions. Like that's not how we win. Yeah, and I I think that this gets to, and this is like obviously a bigger debate than feminism. It's sort of like this bigger conversation about happening right now in the U.S. about do you, and, and this is me summarizing what is like a big and thorny debate, like do you try to like gently bring people around to the point of view that there are big systemic problems like in America? Or do you say like, honestly, like get on board immediately, like there's no time for your learning curve. And I think like the answer to that question is varies greatly depending on who you are. I mean, like I'm a white woman who has had many people 
take time. And this is not to be like, and I made it out the other side. Like, no, I fuck <laughs> up all the time. Like, I don't mean to say that at all. Like, I, I also relate. I mean, like I said, I relate to like a lot of these sort of underlying defensiveness or like, hey, shouldn't you be nicer? I'm trying. Like, I have had those feelings so many times. But like, I, I think that these questions of like, who's responsible for kind of like bringing people around slowly, like waking people up slowly versus like, who's already there and like doesn't have time to wait. There is a big part of it that is like, who are you talking to and what spaces are you talking in and, and like who are you expecting to do what kind of work for you yeah i'm like that judge judy gif where she's just like tapping her wrist for the time i'm like we don't have time like it's time to go right now you know i think that like part of the reason that this is also hard for me is i hear the criticism and i hear feedback and it's not like I'm afraid of criticism or feedback. It's like, actually, like, please, more of this, because that's where we get real. And that's where that's where things change. It's not when we're all being cheerleaders and like, the squad's so great. But I think that, like, it is hard as a woman of color to just constantly hear white women, like, say, I'm here, take care of me, do the work for me. And I know that that's not the intention. None of this is selfish. It's like, obviously, like, we're living in like a very weird and hard time right now. And I'm, I'm really sympathetic to that. But it is just so inherently selfish to just want people of color to like shepherd you through crises. Like, that's not okay. And even if that isn't the ask, like in this particular question that we that we fielded, I mean, I do think that having a really straightforward response that's like, why aren't you doing something already? Obviously, you should say something, which was which was our straightforward response is something that like, you should also expect from white people in your lives, right? Like if that were the default assumption among all white people, because like among my friends, I feel like this is a conversation I have with other white people quite a bit. If it were like, yeah, of course you need to say something, not like, and like, let's talk about what exactly you're going to say and how, as opposed to, I don't know, like, should you speak up? I think that like part of that too is like holding, and this is like now like for you white letter writers, like holding each other to a higher standard where the assumption is we're obviously acting and now in what way, as opposed to like, should we do something? Like, what should we do? <laughs> you right. know, and I you think know, that like, and yeah, the, and the part of that is, is happening. Do more and be better. It doesn't matter how much you have done the work of being free is never ending. We're not going to get to this place where it's like, okay, everything is great for everyone now. But like for every single person, we can always do more and we can always be better. There is just, it's ridiculous to think that that's not the case. Um, I, I sometimes like when, when trying to decide what to do in a difficult situation, I, this is like 100% like journalist me being like, what do I want the headline to be here? Is the headline <laughs> like, like Anne sat quietly and picked her cuticles, like, you know, like, or is it when like, the Republic do, do, was falling? <laughs> I mean, or like, or like when, when like someone you, you thought was pretty cool said something terrible or like, you know, things that feel more surprising and like micro even. Like, I know, but I don't know. But like, yeah, sometimes this, I'm like, it's what really is the story? Easy it's really easy to like to sit back when nobody else is challenging you or you feel that you can just skate by and that's That's why i use the headline exercise it's like what would you want broadcast about this moment amina was a ball of anxiety in that moment that's the headline um well that's an acceptable reaction for you like let's be real like it's not an acceptable reaction for me to be real um I'm glad that we're talking about this. I hope that it's like helpful to some people. And yeah, 
again, not to be like super editorial about this, but I thought about a lot of this feedback. And I think part of it is that like we skirt this line between like our show is a conversation between me and you. And as you pointed out, we are we're maybe in a different place than some people who are listening, like many different places. And how do we understanding like, yes, like we want to interact with the people who listen to this podcast, but at the same time, like ultimately it is kind of a conversation between me and you. It's not a teaching podcast. This is not like a, like how to bring people into the fold explicitly. This podcast is for people who have their foot on the gas. It's like, you know, like (laughs) this, this car left a long time ago, but like, you know, sometimes we're like hanging onto the bumper. Like you're like barely riding, like, like hanging on the side with on a skateboard. Yeah. But you know, but you know, the other thing too, it's like not to make this too meta. It's like the reason that you and I can have these conversations is because there's also like a level of trust, right? Is that, I know that like all of these things that you're saying are not just platitudes. Like I see the ways in which you are challenged and the ways in which you respond to challenges. And I know you. And so (laughs) (laughs) the secret of call your girlfriend, the hosts know each other. Uh, Oh my God. I just had a feeling like when they used to say in church, when God is like, I've known you since I formed you or like whatever. I was like, Oh my God. I mean, I'm feeling it. No, you know what I mean? It's like, I know you, I know that you like, don't just like i don't know like step up to a microphone and say like crazy shit and then you know go to like living your like wild white woman ways i am drinking beer in a hotel room speaking of wild white women ways <laughs> i know i'm just like and i what come home immediately we have big major problems here but i know, you know a hotel I mean? room in austria oh my god and i think that like for all of these listeners who are like me and my friends are so scared to give you feedback or blah 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 you need to like form your own support system where you find people that you trust and you challenge each other's in those ways. It's like the reason that like this works is because like we have that level of accountability. It's like if you listen to this podcast and you enjoy some of what we say, it's like that's one of the lessons. It's like find your people and hold your people accountable and build with them. Yeah, 100%. Like it's not I I don't know. I mean it's a weird, we're in this weird space of, of like, I obviously understand this is a semi-public conversation. And I think that there's like good things that come out of us having these conversations publicly. But you're right. It's really different than the kind of work you do with people who you know intimately, who know your whole story, not three paragraphs in an email. And like, like that's a place where I think working out some of these really difficult things, like especially about how to be frankly like an ethical and active person at this point in time like that's the best place for those conversations aided with a lot of googling because there are many resources right this person i know always used to say this we're not a family we're a community like it's conditional love and i'm like that's true the only way that we know each other is by our actions
what else are we going to talk about when we're not having meta conversations about it, about our own podcast? I know it's yeah. really weird to have that conversation though. It's like one day when we do the real like behind the scenes. Uh, call your girlfriend. Oh my god, VH1 behind the podcast. Yeah, VH1 behind the podcast. <laughs> what what's going on? That's fun. Definitely, it is. It is the time if you do Christmas or like assorted December holiday giving. It's sort of like the time to think about that. I did all of that stuff way early because I sent people presents before I left on this massive trip. Because Whoa! I know it's it's because I had guilt about not like being with my family for Christmas, and I was like, so I'm going to send you presents ahead of time, even <laughs> though that's like that's like capitalism 101 failure, where I'm like, oh, I've decided not to spend this time with you so i sent you a gift in advance it's the worst that's the Um, best of capitalism though but i really do like talking about what makes a good gift like that's one of my favorite kind of dumb service journalism things about this time of year like what makes a good gift how to think about giving how to think about like donations versus time versus physical presence like i actually really love that conversation oh my god okay what makes a good gift I mean, you tell me. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like I'm not a great gift giver right now. Well, I think that moving has a lot to do with that. But also, I don't oh, know. Oh, totally. I love giving gifts where it's like a somebody needs something. Like you identify like an immediate need and then you fill it. And it doesn't have to be like anything fancy or crazy. It's just the like, this is an essential that you need to have, you know, or it's like they have a thing that's no longer great and we're replacing that for them. It's when I get like really high from like giving gifts. Totally. On the other end of the spectrum, I also love giving like completely ridiculous gifts. It's like, hi, you did not know you needed this like ultra silky, like seven foot long scarf with like hilarious drawings (laughs) on it. I don't do like the kitschy internet gifts. I'm trying to be better at that. Like I have a friend who's so great at that. It's like, you like a meme, she'll like find the thing for you. And I was like, God, I'm so not good at that. I'm like very extreme. Either it's like very servicey, like, hi, you need this in your life. Or here is a ridiculous, luxurious, like crazy gift. And uh, I also like to give books. Like to my friends who like to read. I like to like find them. It's like if I like a book, like everybody's getting it that year. Yeah, talking about this around holiday time is a little weird because I think that if I look at my own gift giving history of like physical gifts, the best I've ever done is when I see a thing and think of someone and it's not tied necessarily to a holiday or maybe I buy it and like squirrel it away for months and months, you know, that's like my best work. You're so good, though, at like there are many things in this box gift. Like I'm so impressed by that. You know, I think it comes from being a Midwest lady where we love the gift basket. (laughs) Yeah, it's like you get a box from Ann Friedman. There is like hella shit in there. And it's crazy. I know. Little little tiny treats. Like I do I do enjoy that. I really like mailing gifts. Like the idea that like this is a physical thing because I couldn't physically be there, which I guess I've already sort of discussed. Um, especially if like I can mail them myself. Like sometimes I will order internet things to my own house and then resend them <laughs> just so I can be like, it came from me, not from like a fulfillment service which is a weird like also i think at, at this point extremely old-fashioned point of view about it i don't know yeah um, i'm letting amazon take care of a lot of my gift giving this year what yeah so i don't know i mean it's an interesting thing too to think about the donation-based gifts which is like 
appropriately so of the moment like this year I, th- I i think lots of people are talking about just giving donations instead of physical presence yeah i saw a friend of the podcast laura olin was tweeting about this about like giving people um about doing donations instead of physical gifts and i was like this is such a smart idea in this moment I, you know it's like sometimes it's a little bit fraught i have people that like send me gifts that i'm it's like for the conservative people in my life every once in a while i'll donate to planned parenthood and send them the certificate uh <laughs> but you know like that's a fraught thing to do but um i think that this holiday season this is something that's like really good especially because in my friend circle at least like people have been talking it's it's interesting to have this dual conversation about like uh consumerism is like so awful and whatever and everybody is just feeling the need to do to do something and to do more and i think that you know like really taking time to research places that you want to give to and spending your money that way like is such a powerful it's such a powerful way to be a consumer but it's also such a powerful way to be a community together and so i think that's really cool there are definitely some people who are important to me who are getting donation gifts this year and i the and this again goes back to my old-fashioned ways but the standard that i set for myself because i was like it's in some ways the best gift you can give, but in other ways, I'm like, this feels kind of weirdly impersonal, you know, like I'm like, oh, it's like it's between the transaction feels like it's between me and someone else, not me and the person I'm giving it to. I sort of set a standard for myself that I'm going to write a little letter that is like not only, hey, I, I made this donation for you like as a gift, but like that has a little bit of an explanation as to like why or like why I thought in the same way that if you buy someone a toilet brush or whatever, you're like, this is why I thought thought of you to buy this toilet brush this is why i thought of you please to buy tell me scarf. please tell me somebody has bought you a toilet brush no the closest is you buying me a trash can i'm sorry it was a very nice <laughs> trash can listen it remains to this day one of the top five gifts i've ever received so oh i'm not needing it does um but anyway but like writing a little note that's like this is why i chose like to donate to this place this is why you're an important part of my community and yeah. like why I wanted to like donate to reflect that. Like this is why, you know, I don't know. Like, That's really something thoughtful, that is, Anne. I love that. That is how I am getting around the, I and mean, whatever. Some people are getting physical gifts too. It's not everyone, but like that's kind of how I'm getting around <laughs> the feeling of like, you know, there's like an old Seinfeld joke about it being a cop out. Like I'm just going to write a card that says I gave to the whatever organization for you and then I don't. Sierra Club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, yeah, so it's the opposite. How are you picking where you're donating for like for specific people or are you just donating to the same org in the name of multiple people? Well, it kind of depends. It's funny that like that your remark about the conservative people in your life, you know, like for most people, I think about something that they are very invested in that I also agree with. Like this is sort of like I think long peacemaking skills with my Catholic family. But I'm like, oh, we are both into direct services for immigrant families. Like, what is an organization that supports the fact that you are newly woke about this issue because of a seminar at your church? And the (laughs) fact that I also care about it. Like, you know, and then and then a donation being like, hey, like, I see that like, this is something that you really care about. I also care about it. I made this donation, which unites us. So I don't know, like, I think I'm thinking in this particular moment about a lot of direct services organizations, and which is not to fault anyone's donations to the ACLU or to NARAL but like I think when I think about who is really going to hurt based on 
our incoming president's policies. I don't know. I think that a lot of nonprofits are going to have to fill the gap. So I think I really love the National Network of Abortion Funds as a way of basically like, hey, like I helped fund an abortion for you for Christmas, like for some for a woman who needed it. Like that was your Christmas gift. Like, hell yes. That's such a great specific. I know. That's such a great like, please, I would respond very positively to that gift. That's great. Exactly. And it's like and it's like weirdly because it's specific. I roughly I can Google how much an abortion costs in in most places in America. I can make a donation of that amount. I can connect the dots in a letter to you. That to me is kind of a perfect gift for like a pro-choice friend. That's awesome. What about you? I really like, obviously I made the joke about like donating to Planned Parenthood to the ultra conservative people in my life. But like you, I like causes that really unite us. I really like donating to veteran and military organizations. So Fisher House is great. And Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, where I used to work, has been like also a great place to help me honestly like connect with people in my life that um, I don't necessarily see eye to eye with on some of the political spectrum or we're not super close. But knowing that like we care about the same issues is super crucial. Yeah, you know, and I think that this point that you made about direct services is really important because one of the things that a lot of people are feeling right now is how can I be effective? How can I have the highest impact possible? And knowing that your money goes towards like helping people in really specific ways that they need is really awesome. Yeah, 100%. I think that one thing that's been really tough for me thinking about not just gifts, but like now I think I'm talking about my own personal giving this year is we did like a call to action donation for an organization called Zana Africa last year, which hands out menstrual supplies and educational materials to girls in Africa. You know, we raised like collectively us and like everyone who listens to this podcast sent a lot of money to that organization. And we talked then, I think in some subsequent episodes too, about how powerful it is to be an ongoing donor to an organization like that, that is doing work that is like, the need is not going away anytime soon. And then to sort of like couple that idea, like that kind of giving philosophy with this immediate need that I think a lot of us are seeing in the US in like the coming years and trying to figure out where my money makes sense and like how to split it up has been hard. Yeah, that's been honestly like the hardest thing because, you know, like in the aftermath of the election, I just set up all these recurring donations to like a lot of domestic organizations that I I felt were really important to me. And I do think that like there is something being a steward of like a particular organization is great wherever they're situated or whatever work they do, because it creates this consistency for the org themselves, you know, like when they know how much money is coming in, they know how to have donor relationships with people and their work is invaluable and it's great. But I think that this point that you made about the focus, right? Like where it's like, what do I care about? But also like, where am I needed right now? That has been really tough for me in, in trying to figure that out. And so I've been talking to a lot of other people about it. It's been really interesting just like asking our friends what kind of their strategy is and everybody is kind of doing it differently. But this point just kept coming back over and over again. It's like, do I feel guilty about like, I don't know, the like goat I support like every year or whatever? What's that really cool charity that does the animals? Heifer International is like the give a goat one. Yes. <laughs> I love, I like have never given, but I like love their ads so much. Maybe I should give this year. But Oh my like, God. I last minute got my mom goats like three years in a row for Christmas. Yeah. I feel, <laughs> I feel like we have a friend who's really into heifer. I like forget who it is, but it's like, I love their ads all the time. Never give. 
Um, I'll change that <laughs> because of how excited it just made me. Is that like where my focus is or do I care about these like very serious like domestic threats that we're facing right now, right? And I think there has to be a way that like we're able to do both. It's like keep using your money in ways that like matters to you and it really sends a signal about your values. Yeah, I don't know. In previous years, I have made sure to do like local and national giving like there's like a few local organizations that I like that I donate to every single year and it's been interesting this year too to think about like okay well just in terms of again thinking about disproportionate impact um that this president is likely to have I'm like yes there are obviously people with needs that live like in Los Angeles that live in California, but like, should I be looking at an organization that is also focusing on vulnerable LGBT teens who don't live in California or like, you know, I mean, like, and I think, you know, the answer that I eventually came down on was like maintaining my existing donations and like giving more in this moment because the need is greater. But I don't know. I don't, I don't know how that question, how you answer that question. If, yeah. Like, if you can't, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that you can answer that question because I'm also finding myself being like very reactionary to things that are happening. Like uh, Paul Ryan gave that awful speech this week where he basically said that like kids who are on free lunch don't have a soul. I think I'm like, para- oh my God. I'm, like paraphrasing, but he said something like really bad. His whole thing is how he's going to fix poverty because like poor people don't have dignity. Right. And it's like just hearing him say that, like I went to private school. I was never on school lunch, but I'll, like some of my like bestest friends were on school lunch. And it's like hearing him say that is was so crazy to me. I called like two local schools near me and asked if I could pay off some of the balances on the free lunch. And schools will let you do that. It's like it was such an easy, painless, like, fuck you, Paul Ryan thing to do in that moment, you know? And just like, yeah, it's like if you don't want kids to be hungry at school, maybe you should pay their parents a living wage. But also really educating yourself on like that is a really hyper local issue that everybody can be a part of. And it just took like a little bit of research and calling to do. But I'm finding that I'm like reacting really strongly, like in the news cycle. And, um, you know, and I don't know that that it's like, obviously, like it made me in the moment, it like made me feel good. And it was great. And I was like, I want to look at a way to do this at a higher scale. But really taking that time to think about like, how much money am I giving this year? Where is it all going to? Like, what are the things that matter to me? Turns out it's a lot. And figuring that out, like, I don't have a real answer for that. Okay, factcheck.org. Actually, the Paul Ryan story was from two years ago. And he he didn't he didn't really say that like that like kids on on school lunch or kids on reduced lunch or whatever have empty souls, which was like the quote. But I think that the fundamental point of like, here is someone who is like, does not have a great history of like funding like something like school lunch programs, I think totally stands. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like like, he says, here's what he says. I'm like pulling it up from the CPAC thing. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like the story just resurfaced. It came to me yesterday. It was like what they're offering people is a full stomach and an empty soul. It's like, "Mm, maybe you should pay their parents more money. Right. So his whole thing is like, I mean, he was accusing people on the left of supporting school lunch programs, but not supporting jobs programs, which is like not 
true. But anyway, but so like that's where the quote is from. Anyway, I don't mean to like defend Paul Ryan because Paul Ryan is a vile human. I'm just saying. I thought you were going like, to say it because he like works out and his body is sick and I was going to leap through this podcast and punch you. I really wish that I had his personal phone number when I did some of the like horrible Nazi regime exhibits in Berlin to text him <laughs> quotes about all of the all of the politicians who like fell in line. I just want to be like, is this how you want history to remember you? Here's like a mugshot. You know, <laughs> sorry, that was extreme. But I love the idea of you like of you and Paul Ryan being on texting basis. That makes me very happy. Oh my god! Ugh. Like I don't even know. My emoji game would have to change so extremely, like to 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 like develop the sort of negative chastising <laughs> edge. It would just be like that. You know that no emoji, like the circle with the line. Yes. Like it would just. Oh my I would god. just be like watching the news, texting him that with like no comment. Oh all my the god. time. Oh my god. Anyway, this whole exercise of like giving money to it's like it's interesting to think about like when you think about your own finances and like where you're at and what's an amount of money that like won't break the bank but like is significant to you and all of that stuff. It's like we're all navigating this together. Yeah, I think the other thing that you can do and this is like goes back to the whole like contextualizing it with how you communicate it to someone. But like if you don't have money to make a donation in someone's name, you could totally be like, I'm going to sign up to be a clinic escort and I'm doing that three days a week. And like part of the reason I'm doing it is because it's like part of your gift or to like to say that yeah. like I'm gonna, I can't donate money, but I'm going to donate some time for you. And not everybody has time or money but again like trying to think a little bit creatively about like using gift giving as a motivation to do things that you already have the desire but maybe like haven't followed through on <laughs> yet is a cool way to think about it yeah and i mean and if you have like awesome gift giving strategies or you're like way far ahead of us on this like we'd love to hear from you Oh my god, yes. Yeah, tangible ideas too are also are also valid. <laughs> I don't know. It is it is nice to get the right stuff occasionally, you know, not like a deluge of meaningless shit, but <laughs> a deluge of meaningless shit. I'm making that t-shirt for myself. <laughs> I mean, Christmas, right? Oh like, my god, that's my own gift to myself. Do you buy yourself Christmas presents? I mean, I would like to tell you no, but like practically speaking, I feel like being out in the world at a time when I'm like maybe trying to buy something for someone else it happens <laughs> listen I not only buy myself presents I like get them wrapped like I'm very excited about this oh my god did do you do it in advance so you don't remember what you got yourself? no 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 it's like I it's like when I'm out and about like doing my Christmas shopping or whatever if I see things that I want or I know things that I want it's maybe the one time of the year where if there's like a physical store of the thing like I will go to it and then I'll like get it gift wrapped and then I'll take at home and destroy the gift wrap and do whatever it's perfect oh my god i love that i suffer from slash am blessed with an early january birthday so i always buy myself a birthday present which you could say bleeds into christmas season as well i'm very committed like in the way that you are committed to the christmas gift for yourself very committed to a self birthday gift oh man that's so good i should start giving myself a birthday gift i don't give myself enough oh my gifts. god I believe very strongly in the importance of birthdays. No, like, it's that like, had it's like, never honestly, even occurred to me. Yeah. You're like, girl, Amina, you made it another year. Like, that's what like, birthday <laughs> gift to yourself says. It's like, it says, thanks for sticking with me, self. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for another year around the sun, self. You got it. I know. Treat yourself moments. 
I love oh it. Oh my God, completely. But I think that, yeah, like that just has to do with my point of view. I'm also someone who gets like really upset when when people hate celebrating their birthday, which I know like live and let live, right? Everyone can choose for themselves. But I just like, I feel so strongly that birthdays are great. You you have really taught me the art of the birthday celebration. <laughs> I, I will say I'm not great at it every year, but I was like, oh, you can aspire to better. You mean the international Aminatu So Day? You don't want to celebrate? <laughs> like, like, oh my God. I'm there for that holiday. That is how you make it feel. <laughs> exactly. Like, that is like, everyone is like Pitbull, Mr. International, like on your birthday. You are. <laughs> I'm just like, I can't handle it. I was like, this is why my birthday is not on social media. I like just want low key things. I'm not talking about what other people say about your birthday. I just mean how you act on your birthday. I know, but I feel like for me, at least up until maybe this moment when you said it, like those things are very tied to each other. Right, right. And it's like, yeah, "Mm." it's like if you don't acknowledge it, then maybe other people won't acknowledge it. Right. I mean, and if that's what you want to happen, listen, I can't be a birthday dictator here. (laughs) You are a birthday dictator, though, but in the best way possible. (laughs) You're a birthday despot. Yeah, you're like the Stalin of birthdays, but you did so much for Russia. (laughs) Stroking my fine mustache over here. Yeah. Um, can I tell you one of the depressing things that I'm doing to like wait out these next four years? Please. So I like got like a ginormous TV with like too much cable. I'd be like, I'm going to be watching TV. But I finally discovered the Oliver Stone history documentary on Netflix. It's like untold the history of the United States or something. But it's so depressing. My God. It's like 10 episodes of just like Oliver Stone narrating like US history to you. And I was like, this is my personal rock bottom. And I'm so... Is this like Oliver Stone tries to Howard's in? Is like 100%. 100%. It's so depressing, but I love it. And I'm just like, this is my personal, like, just this is rock bottom. And I just sit there and I drink tea and I'm like, God, Eisenhower is the worst. And just watch. It's like a very, very sad whatever thing. But also like he has a point. He's like, uh, he's like, I love history. And then I started looking at my children's homework and like, they don't teach you shit at school. And I was like, accurate. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Oliver Stone. It's true, but I feel like that about every time, every time I read something that like contains a fact that seems like it should be so well known, it should be like blasted on the covers of history books. And I learn it for the first time at like age 35. Like there are so many of those. I should start keeping like an aha journal because like, (laughs) it's true. It's like, it's really amazing. Like you think, you think you have like a modicum of education and like you've read some books and then, you know, basic stuff like that's literally what the phrase day woke is about it's like no we were like not woke enough what's like one fact that you just learned that you were like how did i not know this well due to the like i mean i'm sorry to keep bringing us down with like my visits to holocaust museums recently no i love it but um but you know there there's like uh 
there were a bunch of photos in one of them of women being humiliated in public squares with uh, by like Nazi soldiers shaving their heads because they consorted with political dissidents or Jews or like other figures. And I think that like I had some vague recollection of like head shaving as public shaming. Like that didn't sound totally new to me, but like just the prevalence of that as a technique really early in the regime and how it was specifically used to sort of keep women from dissenting. And like, I don't know, like it was something that maybe I had kind of heard of in passing but like it wasn't it never stuck out for me like in history class or whatever and like that's something that I've been thinking about and like those photos there was also a photo I saw of Himmler laughing like just like uproariously laughing with his assistant that has been haunting me for a week and I just feel like a lot of the like lesser you know like growing up you learn like Hitler 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 and you know maybe a few other names as you get older but like you know like just like this idea of a broad-based understanding of like like terrible things happening in history because of like groups of complicit people in systems like complicated like real history is you know I don't know if Oliver Stone gets gets at that but listen (laughs) so far Oliver Stone is treating me right (laughs) (laughs) It's like depressing history documentaries. Something that is not depressing that I'm learning so much about, though, is on this other podcast, um, Presidents or People 2, that is hosted mm-hmm. by uh, my friend Alexis. Is been It's been like so great. I started listening. Um, it's like I had maybe listened to like two episodes before the election and I was like, fine, like maybe one day I'll make time for this. And then like post-election depression hit and I'm like, I only have time. Uh, <laughs> the podcast <laughs> is fantastic. It's like you just learn so much about presidential history, which I knew no- like it's like talk about like finding out that you're like a complete dweeb who like knows nothing. I was like, I knew nothing. Like I just know nothing about presidents. And yeah, it's like they break it down like president by president. They don't go in chronological order, which I really appreciate. And uh, it's just, yeah, it's just like really smartly done and just like teaches you so much. And I'm like, wow, 31, still so much to fucking learn. This is crazy. But it has been really, uh, it's been like a bomb to the soul during this like tumultuous time. I mean, there is something that is kind of comforting and like, God, I can see why like, like, like old people are always reading historical, like heavy biographies and stuff. I'm like, (laughs) the longer you lived, like history does get more interesting. Like, or, you know, like the more that you've seen, like it is like both like important, terrifying, comforting. I mean, that uh, Rebecca Solnit book, Hope in the Dark, which has been circulated a lot lately, I've been rereading and she has this whole part about like understanding the past is not just like important for being like wary of what could happen in the future, but important because it has all these lessons about how people overcame like really, really terrible shit. And so I don't know, like history. Yes. Yeah. History. Also, it just makes you feel so like young and naive and like the sun all still rises like type feelings. You know what I mean? Oh, completely. Yeah. You're just like, Oh, but also like some of it is sometimes like hilarious. You're like, wow. Germany and Austria are like the only things that are standing in the way of like global fascism right now. That's crazy. Um, but oh, and just, you know, maybe that's because this shit is taught really young in Germany, like repeatedly. Yeah, you know what like, I mean? You You're know, like, I'm like, they know, they know, like, we yeah. don't know, they know. I'm like reading the Ari Berman book on um, voting rights again, and that's Ooh. been really good. Because I'm just like, yeah, I'm like all of the things that I was not sufficiently educated about during the election, like this is a great time to learn about them instead of getting outraged that 
hundreds of thousands of people in Wisconsin, for example, like couldn't vote. It's like, oh, like now I can read about it and find out exactly what the deal is and what the history of voter suppression is in this country and how it manifests and how it plays out. It's like also like didn't really know a ton about the electoral college. I'm like reading about that now. It's great to know these things. Not every four years, you know, it's an in- totally. interesting time, but also, yeah, it's, I'm just like, wow, I am consuming so much history content right now because I am depressed and anxious. And that's the only thing that helps. I mean, maybe we're also back to good gifts. I feel like like a really relevant book on a historical topic would be such a good gift at this time, too. Yeah, it's a like good dad gift, good friend gift. Yeah, definitely. Yes. Oh, man, now 100%. you're making me want to ask like all the older people in my life, like what their favorite historical books are. I love that idea. I mean, like, shout out to all the baby history majors who got this a lot younger than I did. Yes, yeah, I'm weird. Like, I'm you just know, like, you, like yeah. you guys are on it. Here I am, like, reading about the Habsburgs for the first time at the museum <laughs> no, today. Like, no, not the first time, but you know, you know. No, I'm just laughing because that's my funnest, I think, the funnest period of, like, history in French school. Because they're so dismissive of everybody. But at the same time, it's like, yes, I love royalty. I mean, it's it's also so dramatic. I walked through a hall of Kaiser coins today, and I was like, "This is the most." Like, <laughs> You're like Europe, is, so drama, so great. Europe is so Europe has no chill. I'm like, wow, you put more ornate shit on top of that ornate shit, and then made coins to house there. Yeah, like, but also, what? but here's the thing, right? It's like that's what happens when your like history is longer than like 300 years. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, people been out here. It's there's a fantastic aside about this in the um and. And a Knox documentary where this oh my god this, I love it but where this Italian lawyer is like finally had it I think he's the lawyer of the boyfriend or some shit and he's just like had it with like the Americans and he's like when you guys were still living in caves we were doing like XYZ in Italy and it was hilarious and I was like oh my god even in the Amanda Knox documentary, you can take time out to learn about Italian history. This is fascinating. It's so true. But I find a way to be an obnoxious American even about that. I'm like, yeah, you had learned about like some repressive monarchies by then, but like you hadn't figured out anything related to like <laughs> shit, shit I care about. Like you figured out how to make make like one inbred family really rich. Like, that's all you figured out. Like like good job. Like talking about talking about like not making society work for everyone. Oh like, my god. Speaking of, this is when. I like plug that you need to watch The Crown on Netflix. So oh my god, I'm watching it. it. I am watching it, and I'm <laughs> dying and laughing so hard because like only the royals take royalty seriously, right? I'm like, I know it's you guys so are low. living. You're living in a prison <laughs> of your own making. Nobody gives a shit. Let Margaret wear pants. Let her marry the divorcee. This is ludicrous. People do not care. And like, I just like, I can't handle it. It's like, I laugh so hard. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, you know how the rest of the story unfolds. So it's also like amazing. I was like reading a novel that was set in California and I was like too mentally elsewhere. I was like, I need to like get with some pop culture that is like set in the place I'm hanging out with right now, which is like how I got there. 
Um, Yo, the, but yeah, the crown 100%. for real. It's so good. That actress that plays Elizabeth, like, give her every prize. Like, it's amazing. It's also like, I mean, it, much like the monarchy itself, boring enough that I can like watch it before bed and I'm like not still thinking about it. Oh I'm yeah, like, oh, <laughs> right to sleep. Definitely. Like my mind is not running. I'm just like gone. <laughs> yeah, you know how I love to like wolf down shows. This was like definitely a one episode at a time. I'm like, my god, this is so boring, fascinating at the same time just like lol for days i'm like nobody cares about these rules that you've made for yourself this is why you're miserable lego i mean that's also how i feel about europe nobody cares about these rules you made for yourself like i learned the pro <laughs> that i was like cutting my food wrong the other you day you are cutting your like, food wrong <laughs> <laughs> and i was like can't i live like don't you understand there are actual problems in the world that's like not how i like cut my ravioli anyway listen nothing um, <laughs> is more traumatizing to me than like cutlery placement in the so family and learning how to eat like all foods right the fact that i like survived my family like being crazy about that is how i know i'm going to be okay in all other facets of life it's oh stressful God, but yeah or when you it, finally but that, have but that's the thing about like watching the crown is you're just like wow people do so many things out of obligation and tradition and like nobody gives a shit it's like if we were all if we were all real and honest all the time like we wouldn't have to go through this like stupid paternalism that we've invented for ourselves i know i would have like a sweatpants and mac and cheese empire if you put me in charge of things <laughs> it would, i would not be making rules for myself that like that were like horribly restrictive yeah and, i'm like yeah. what's the whole point of being queen if you can't make the rules for yourself <laughs> like this is not how the game is played elizabeth i know there's and then well and then there's the other thing too where there's like these like bad boy bad girl rule breaking monarchs who like break the rules for themselves yo and then, like, shout out margaret though she'd been breaking shout out margaret <laughs> but then but then like they have kids and they conscript them into the same bullshit that they oh, avoided 100. You know what I mean? that's like, like isn't that just, what all of parenting is <laughs> oh my god I think I think it's worse if you're a monarch. <laughs> no, it's crazy. It's just it's people just want bread and like clean water. They do not care about your like weirdo. You can't give them bread and clean water when you're making all those coins and jewels. Oh my <laughs> god, it's so tacky. Also, yeah, I'm like you people are lazy. Like, what do you actually do for work? <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, I I went down this deep rabbit hole of like, how does the royal family support themselves? And, oh, subsidy welfare. And let me tell you, welfare of the highest order is <laughs> crazy. They and now they're jobs. dumping all this money into Buckingham Palace. Like, it's crazy. I know. It's so like, crazy. it's complete dump. It's just the whole thing is crazy. Thank you, Netflix. The crown is amazing. I'm so glad I watched. Um, the, the other thing that I watched lately that I loved so much is um, Grayson Perry, the British artist, has a series about masculinity that I believe, like, is not super old but like not super new either and i've been i've been watching that and it's it's really well done i also recommend that like in other like modern slightly more relevant british television <laughs> oh that's great the other really great british tv that i watched recently was chewing gum which was amazing you know all of those like a uh, coming of age like teen tv shows where it's like boy like learns about his body and now he just wants to have sex with someone at all costs you know like those <laughs> movies um yep. it, it's that except the main character is like an amazing black girl who lives like in a low income like estate in england and it's in london and it's amazing 
Ugh, uh, yes. It's so, and you have to watch at least like one episode of it and you'll die. It's like she has this like really conservative boyfriend who is like not down for the sex and then she like meets somebody else, but they're all goofballs. And it's so like cringe worthy also, like just awful, awful, awful moments like happen to hilarious people. Ugh. Uh, yes, I will definitely watch. You can, you can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can also download this podcast any on any app you like to use to listen to these, but iTunes especially, and we would love a review there. You can tweet at us or find us on Instagram at callyrgf. We're also on Facebook, where you can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. Gina, miss you so much, girl. I know. So far away, Gina. So far away. Okay. See you on the internet, boo-boo. See you on the internet.